Grab your seats. We are continuing our new series, Everyday Theology. This is week three. We're basically answering the question or, or closing the gap of what, we, what do we believe on paper and how do those beliefs translate into everyday life? How are they practical? And we're trying to close the gap so that we actually live out what we believe. And today we've looked at our, the doctrine of God, we've looked at the doctrine of Scripture, and today we're going to look at the doctrine of creation. Really, a, a lot of practical points today, because really what we're going to do is answer the question, okay, if Genesis 1 and 2 is true, that in the beginning God created, uh, spoke the world into existence, what does that mean? And so we're, that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. Origin stories matter. Origin stories matter. If you like superheroes, you'll probably know Superman's origin story. He's from a, a planet called Krypton, and his planet was dying, and in an act of love, his mom and dad put him on a spaceship and sent him out into the galaxy, out to Earth for a better life. And his name was Kal-El, and Kal-El lands on a farm in Kansas, where two farmers raised him and taught him right from wrong, and they fashioned him into the Clark Kent that we all know, this good man, this Boy Scout, this honorable hero who gives hope to the world. But there was a special run of comics that asked the question, what if? What if things happened differently? What might have happened? And one of those runs, Cal-El or Clark Kent, he doesn't land in Kansas. He's not raised by these farmers and taught right from wrong. Instead, he lands in the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War. And he becomes, instead of a beacon of hope and justice for the world, he becomes the weapon of mass destruction and humanity's war for power. You see, the origin stories matter. Where we began and where we begin matters. And just like Superman, our origin stories matter too. And the world has two primary competing origin stories. They go like this. Two competing origin stories that lead to two very different worldviews. And the first story, uh, one story leads to a, to a man-centered world where in the beginning there was nothing. Nothing but chaos and astrophysical type particles flowing around in a vast nothingness. And then, bang, the largest, most pointless accident in the world happened, and the world came into existence. And through the course of billions of years, through the survival of the fittest, makes man the defending champion of reality. Man takes center stage as man has climbed his way up out of the primordial ooze. Who The man has thrown off his gills and grown nostrils and has grown opposable thumbs. Yay, look at us. You're so great. But that story, that origin story ends in self-centered power grabbing, where the end and the point of life is all about how can I get more, more money, more power, more happiness, more fame, more stuff, more and more to fill me up so that I can die happy on top of the world. This story, this origin story leads to corruption, it leads to Nazism, it leads to eugenics, it leads to getting your baby genetically tested and aborted if there's something you don't like about it. It leads to hopelessness, sadness, selfishness, and leads to an ugly world. But thankfully, this is not our reality. This is not actually our origin story. Instead, Genesis 1 and 2 paint a very different picture. A story that begins 
with a master storyteller, a master artist, a master inventor, with nothing for tools but his will and his word, he speaks and begins to fashion the world. He invents the ideas of color, of smell, of taste and sight and sound. He invents the idea of plants and animals who, who grow and sing. He invents galaxies and stars and planets and moons and gravity. He invents rivers and oceans and ponds and fish. He invents atoms and protons and electrons. He takes all of these things and more and he begins to paint them onto a canvas. And the painting begins to take shape. And it is literally the most beautiful thing in existence. It shines, it sparkles, it sings, it radiates. And yet still something is missing, and so he fashions another creation. And in this creation, he breathes into their lungs the breath of life and they're into their very lips, and they are formed into humanity. He invents something that was smarter and more in tune and more moral, something that was like he was, something that was in his image, a man and a woman who could cultivate the world around them, who could enjoy the fruits, who could enjoy the sunsets, who could enjoy the rivers and the animals, people in his image, the crown jewel of his creation, something like him to rule over paradise for him. And so he made us. So he begins the story of humanity, our story. It begins with God who decided to create, who decided to invent, who decided to speak us into existence. In a marvelous display of power and beauty and creativity and genius, God begins the world and all that is in it. And he says it was very, very good. That is our origin story. And those are very different stories. And rightly understood, our story is a story that leads to loving your neighbor, to stewarding the earth and all that is in it, a story that leads to more creation, to the cultivation of truth, goodness, and beauty, a story that leads to harmony and purpose and everlasting joy. But sadly, sin has corrupted what this world was meant to be. But God is not giving up on the world. Instead, he will restore it to its former glory. And in this new creation to come, it will somehow be better than it was all those years ago. But this is our story. This is our creation. This is our origin. This is our beginning. It is a story of purpose, of plan, of redemption. So each week as we take a certain body of theology or doctrine and ask the question, what do we believe about this thing and how does it change our lives? Today we look at the doctrine of creation. So two quick points of theology and the rest is going to be practical. One, this one's deep, this one's hard. God created everything. There is nothing that exists. No galaxy, no atom, nor anything in between that exists apart from the imaginative, imagination and creative will of God. Genesis 1 and 2 come to us not as scientific textbooks seeking to try to explain the ins and outs of how God created the world. That is not their purpose. Genesis 1 is a poem. And maybe... Uh, it may be communicating several literal days, maybe not, depending on how you understand it, but that's not our purpose this morning. The point of Genesis 1 and 2 is not about how God created the world, but rather God did create the world, that he spoke it into existence. The point of Genesis 1 is to say that it wasn't Ra, the sun god, who created the sun, and it wasn't Poseidon, the god of the ocean, who created the waters. 
that there wasn't all these other gods who created these things, but rather one God reigning supreme over all things who has no rival and who reigns, spoke and created everything. He has no rival, and there is not a power in the universe who could ever replicate or do what God did in creation. God is in a league of his own. He created everything. And so point two, God created everything ex nihilo. Here's your Latin lesson for this morning. Y'all ready? Everybody say ex nihilo. Look at y'all Latin scholars. Ex nihilo means out of nothing. When God created, he did not have raw material like we do when we create. God didn't have uh, particles. He didn't have atoms. He didn't have electrons and protons. He didn't have dirt to just refashion. He had nothing. There was a void, not even the, the void of space. The vacuum of space was there. He had nothing to work with. He had no tools. The only thing he had was his will to do it and his word. And from his will and his word, he created everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo. He didn't take particles or subparticles or material to refashion. He spoke and everything came from nothing. So why does this matter? Why does this origin story matter? Why does the fact that God created and created an ex nihilo matter? Eight quick reasons. Eight quick reasons. Number one, this story, this creation story matters because there is a creator, my life has purpose. Because there is a creator, our lives have purpose. Let me be perfectly clear. If the origin story of naturalistic atheism is true, that the world came into existence by a big bang, that it was a cosmic accident, that there were no designs and no intentions, that it was a simple fluke of nature, then your life has no purpose or point at all. There is no meaning to your existence. And whatever happens to you doesn't matter. But doesn't making actually always include purpose? Doesn't building actually always include purpose? If something was made, it was made with a purpose. You know, I'm not a professional builder by any means, but I really like to tinker. I like to build things. I just built a kitchen table for my way too large family so we could actually all eat at the same table without having to shove chairs in. So I went to build this kitchen table, but what I didn't do was just like start gluing and drilling and cutting boards and like hoping that in the end it turned into something useful. That's not what I did, but I sat back and I designed it, I drew it out, and, and I measured, and I, and I planned, and then I went and got the materials, and then I cut it exactly right, and sanded it down, and fashioned it until it became a table. There was design. It was designed with my large family in mind. It was designed for a specific function and purpose. And like my table, and like all things we create, this creation was made with purpose. And everything in it is made with purpose. You are a created thing. You are a creature, which means you do not get to determine your own purpose. You do not get to decide for yourself what your purpose is. Your creator gets to decide that. In the same way, my kitchen table doesn't get to tell me it doesn't want to be a kitchen table anymore. It wants to be a guitar. It doesn't get to do that. I created it. I get to determine its purpose. God created us. He gets to determine our purpose. God as creator alone has that right. So we as creatures, as a creation, need to ask the question, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? And not just ours individually, but what is the purpose of having a spouse? What is the purpose of working? What is the purpose of having money? What is the purpose of having children? What is the purpose of going to church? What is the purpose of playing football? 
What is the purpose of watching football? Go Bengals. Who day? What, what, is the pur- what is the purpose of anything? Sorry, my mom's here. Keep pounding. Sorry, moms. Go Panthers. What is the purpose of everything in your life? The point of this sermon is not to answer that question, so you got to come back next or some other time for that. But that, the point is that there is a purpose, that your life and everything in it isn't meaningless. It's not random. But there is a purpose to everything because there is a creator. Number two, because there is a creator, I live like a manager, not the owner. Because there is a creator, we live like managers, not the owner. Thomas Jefferson had a friend who, li- a friend who lived in France, uh, but he wanted to buy some land in Virginia near his Monticello home. And so his friend came to America and with Thomas Jefferson kind of picked out the property that he wanted, the house that he wanted, and, and with Thomas's help bought it and then he had to go back to France. And so Thomas Jefferson being his friend, he, he was like, well, I'll look after the property, I'll manage the property for you while you are gone and when you come home it'll be here and I'll make sure it's upkept and all those things. But then a few years in, his friend never really came much to visit the property, never really was there. And Thomas Jefferson got into some bad financial trouble. And so he sold his friend's property and pocketed the money. And he sent his friend a letter letting him know that he sold it and that he would pay him back when he could. Needless to say, the friend was pretty upset. He was upset because Thomas Jefferson stopped acting like the manager and started acting like he was the owner. And so because of that, he abused and mistreated and mishandled the property under his care. The natural law in, the wor- in this world has a simple rule. If you make it, you own it. You build it, they will come. <laughs> now, you build it. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. You build it, it's yours. You make it, you own it. I built my kitchen table. Nobody gets to come into my house and say, you know what, I'm going to take that home with me. That ain't theirs. It's mine. I made it. Right? God has made the world, and therefore he owns everything. He owns everything. The breath in your lungs, the money in your pocket, the car you drove here, the house you live in, the kids you have, even yourself, all belong to God. He owns it all. You are not the owner of your children. You're not the owner of your own body. You are merely the manager, the steward. You are the manager of all of God's property that you have in your life. See, anytime we, like Thomas Jefferson, take our life or something in our own hands and do with it whatever we want... We have an ownership problem. We move from trying to be the manager to to take care of God's things, and we think we own it. Abuse, whether it's verbal, physical, sexual, is an ownership problem. Racism is an ownership problem. Eating yourself into bad health is an ownership problem. Materialistic greed, misogyny, corruption, failure to care for the least of these. Laziness is an ownership problem. You think you own yourself, forgetting you're a manager of even your own body. You think these things are things that you can, you can do with whatever you want, forgetting that they belong to God. We treat things like they belong to us, when in reality, everything has been given to you to manage or to steward, to care for in God's stead. So ask this question of yourself, how would your life change if you viewed everything, including yourself, as something owned by another, and you saw yourself as the manager who must care for it until the owner returns? How would it change how you live? I bet it would. Number three, because there is a creator, I live in light of his designs, not my desires. 
Because there is a creator, we are to live in light of his designs, not my desires. Now, I really think this is actually really helpful. Often when we think or talk about sin, we think sins are like these list of rules that God made. Like he just came up with them. It's like, you know what, i got to have some rules for these people, so let me come up with some. Right? That's kind of how we think about it or talk about it sometimes. But that's not the case at all. You see, if God designed the world... And God designed the world to function according to his design. When we live in line, in step with, in accordance with that design, we live in harmony. Right? We, we, we live in that created order and we prosper, we thrive, and things go well. We're going with the flow of how God fashioned the universe. But when we go against the grain, when we go against God's design, when we distort or we use God's creation in our own way, in a different direction or for a different purpose than what it was designed for, it hurts us. It damages us. It doesn't always feel that way in the moment, right? Because it always feels good. But it does hurt us. Not only does it actually uh, hurt us uh, or stunt us, it damages relationships with other people. It, it's, it unsettles us when we settle for less of what God is offering so much more. You see, sin is not a random set of rules. It is distorting the designs of God, of the creator. It is going against the created order. It is settling for pennies on the dollar of what God has designed us for. So let me apply this in a couple different ways. Uh, You can think about excess of anything, right? Like water is good for you. You drink too much water, there's someone who died in a water drinking competition because they drank too much water. Right? Excess of anything is bad. Alcohol, God created as this good thing. You drink too much of it, you get drunk, bad things happen. Right? And so, excess of anything is bad. Let me give you another one. When the way we talk about homosexuality is often super unhelpful. Sometimes Christians talk about re- this really poorly. Homosexuality is not 